We're going to go to Scripture today, and I'm going to share something with you that I think is going to tie us together today as the family of God. There's one body, amen? Thank you, Tori. There's one body of Christ. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place because it says in the Revelation, from every tribe, every language. So we are one body in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I want to talk about the together part of Christianity. Do you hear that? Let that settle in upon your spirit. This is a message for us today, the together part of Christianity. I think that as we look out in our society today, you may agree with me that there seems to be more of a focus on the individual rather than the together part of life. This has been called the me generation. I don't know who coined that phrase, the me generation, but what I do know is this. Paul saw a generation that would immediately precede the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we still believe he's coming, do we not? Jesus is coming. I believe his coming is imminent. It's always imminent. And the Apostle Paul saw the generation that immediately preceded the coming of the Lord. And I think he would have to agree with the modern statement of the me generation because he saw that there was a generation that he said in his writings, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But know this, that in the last times, Perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. It seems that today people tend to be more focused on the, the individual, the kind of living independently rather than being connected to a, maybe a larger network. And, and I've even seen this. Those that are connected to a network, sometimes a network of relationships I'm talking about, sometimes it's very shallow and there's really maybe some selfish purposes of being a part of those networks of relationships. I also believe this, that people tend to move in and out of relationships more readily and more easily today. Look at the marriage situation today. I heard an old man say one time, he said, I was 20, it's an old man said this, I was 21 years old before I had ever even heard of anyone having a divorce when I grew up. But now people move in and out of marriage relationships, even church relationships and church situations, changing of jobs, etc. And I think Maybe one of the reasons for that is because our society has changed over the last 50 years. Many people would, would live their entire lives in very close proximity to their, to their immediate family. Today, we're all spread out everywhere. I've lived away from my family for over 30 years. And when that happens, sometimes people can get into the habit of living isolated and caring only for themselves, living in kind of a bubble, so to speak. Some of us in this room don't even know the names of our next door neighbors. And that's true. As I see many heads nodding, it's true. It's the world that we live in. In saying that, this is a message to our church. This is a message to the body of Christ for this reason, to resist the culture of self-centeredness that we see around us. The church is a light in a darkened world. We're not a call. Remember Brother David Wilkerson, which was a wonderful prophet of God. He preached a message years ago called the accommodating gospel. Tremendous. You can, you can listen to it on YouTube. That's something you probably want to listen to on YouTube. But we're called to be salt. We're called to be distinct. 
We're called to be trendsetters for the kingdom of God, to show people the way, not, not that it should be, but the way that it, that it is when we live in the kingdom of God. Romans says, don't be conformed to the world. I'm, uh, this is a message to resist the tendency toward radical individualism. Here's what Paul said. Philippians 2. Listen to this. Let, let this speak to us today. Let each of you look, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We have a lot of interests. We have things we need to do, but we need to lift our eyes and realize there's a community about us. There's a family of God about us, and there's to be a togetherness in Christianity. There's a together part, and that's the part that I want us to get this morning. President McKinley, one of our former presidents, tells a story a story that when he was president of our United States, that he had a decision to make. He had one position to an ambassadorship to some country around the world, but he had two individuals which were both equally qualified for the position. He didn't know the one to pick. And then he remembered something that happened many years before, before he was president, when he was a representative of Congress. And he remembered this, that one night he was riding a trolley, I think. And as the trolley, he got on the trolley and there was only one seat and he sat down in that seat. And on the next stop, a little old lady with a basket full of wash got on the trolley. And as she began to walk down the aisle looking for a seat, one of the men one of the two men who was in line for the ambassadorship was on that, on that trolley many years before. And he was sitting there reading a paper. And as the lady walked down the aisle, he got the paper and turned it as if he didn't see her. And President McKinley remembered that action. And of course, that man did not receive the ambassadorship. And here's what he said. He said these words. The candidate never knew that the little act of selfishness had deprived him of perhaps the crowning achievement of his life. Aesop in Aesop's Fables tells a story that many of you and maybe most of you have heard of a dog who was carrying a piece of meat across a bridge and the dog noticed his reflection in the water and he thought another dog had a piece of meat and he wanted it. And so he dropped the piece of meat that he had and he tried to grab the other one and he lost everything. And when we're selfish and we don't get beyond our own interests, we don't win. We don't gain. We may think we gain temporarily, but we don't gain. But we lose when we don't do what Paul said to not only look on our own interests, but also on the interests of others. I'm calling us today to think about the together part of Christianity. It's been studied for years, and the consensus is that in all the great civilizations of the world, their average lifespan is just a little over 200 years. I hope we're not living on borrowed time. But I'm concerned about our nation. It has been outlined that those nations rise and fall according to this pattern. The people go from slavery to spiritual faith. Spiritual faith to courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to selfishness. From selfishness to apathy. And from apathy to dependence. And then from dependence back to slavery again. And I wonder where we are in the slide. I wonder where we are in the process. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of selfishness in our nation. And I see a lot of apathy toward God in our nation. But I also see it in the church. So we need to consider 
There's another part of Christianity. It's that together part of Christianity. The plan of salvation. There's an individual part. And there's a together part. Now, when you think about the church, we think about the group. But uh, it's often been said, and I've heard it many times, that God has no grandchildren. In other words, we're not saved just because we go to church or because we are part of a group or because we live in America. That's not how we're saved. We are certainly saved as individuals when we confess our Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're ever saved, you'll be saved because you as an individual personally, individually called upon the Lord and the Holy Spirit brought you to the cross and you repented of your sin. You put your faith in Christ and the great work of salvation took place. The great transformation of the heart from darkness to light takes place and you are what Jesus said, born again. Certainly that's an individual act and an individual choice, and it's an individual coming to the Lord. But after that, think about this. At that moment, when an individual walks an aisle, when an individual calls up on the Lord, wherever they are, it's not about uh, geography, it's not about being in a bit. You can be in a car, you can be walking down the street. I know there's one gentleman in here that was walking down the street as a little boy and called on the Lord, and God saved him. And been saved for decades and decades and decades and decades. The moment a person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. At that moment something great happens. As the individual comes to Jesus. At that moment they are joined to a body. A glorious body. A body that will never die. A body that he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We are united to the body of Christ of everyone who's ever called on the name of the Lord. And at that moment we're joined to the together part. Of Christianity. The local church is part of God's very special plan for every single believer. As you read the New Testament, I'll challenge you read through the New Testament. I hear this talk about the universal church. Do you realize that 99% of the time the Bible talks about the church? It's a church. You could go to it. The church at Laodicea, the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergus, Thyatira, etc. It's a church. It's a local church. And God has a plan for every Christian to be a part of the local church. The local church. The local church with its called pastors, with its, with its appointed deacons, with its prayer warriors, with its teachers, with its children's workers, with its worshipers, with its greeters. It's called to be an aid and to be a help to us on our journey to heaven. We much, it's much, much easier. And we're, we're, we're going to get to heaven much better if we stay a part of the together part of Christianity. And the truth is we cannot neglect the together part of Christianity without serious negative consequences in each of our lives. We need to take a lesson from the animal kingdom. Have you ever noticed in the Bible the Lord uses animals? I mean, the Lord, I was in Israel back months ago, and I was in Caesarea Philippi. It's way, way up in northern Israel. We were like just not, long, not far from uh, just right at the border of Syria. I had no desire to go over in Syria. Certainly not Damascus. But I saw a little animal look about twice as big as a rabbit. I thought, I know what that is. That's what the old King James called a coney. Proverbs says, the coney are but a feeble folks, but they hide themselves in the rock. And it really is a rock badger. How many know the Lord uses animals? Funny, funny little story. I was, we were there, and I kind of went off by myself. And I uh, went off by myself. I'm talking about the together part, and I separated from the group. But anyway, <laughs> bad, you know, bad guy. But there was these stairs that went up to this stone balcony. There's no telling. That stone balcony could have been thousands of years old. 
But I went up there, and I actually have a picture of it. I wish I, I would have put it up today. But I walked up, and as soon as I got to the top step of the balcony, I looked that way, and one of those conies was on a ledge, and he looked as terrified as I did. I was terrified of him, and he was terrified of me. We, we both just went like this. But God uses animals. We need to take an illustration from the bee kingdom. Listen to this. When you think about bees, Homer Gray raises bees and has raised bees. One bee always seems ready to feed another bee. Sometimes even a bee from a whole different colony. Mutual feeding among bees who are very social insect is the order of their existence. The workers feed the helpless queen who cannot feed herself. They feed the drones during the period of usefulness in the hive. Of course, they feed their young, and they seem to enjoy this social act. Bees cluster together for warmth in cold weather, and they fan their wings to cool the hive in hot weather, thus working together for another's comfort. When swarming time comes, bee scouts take out to find a suitable quarter where the new colony can establish itself. The scouts return back to the group, executing a dance, as, as they also do when they report honey, by which they convey the location of the prospect, prospective home of the colony. As more, uh, as more than one scout goes prospecting and reports back, the, pee, the bees appear to entertain their findings of all of the scouts, and at last the entire assembly seems to reach a common conclusion of choice, and thereby they all take wing and swarm off together to their new colony. They work together. So when we look at the Word of God, what do we see? We see a togetherness. As we open our New Testament, what do we see? We see the together part of Christianity illustrated in the life of the New Testament church. A few verses. Here is, you know, there's blueprints in the Word of God. There's, there's things that God does that becomes a blueprint for the church forever. The book of Acts is a blueprint of how church should be conducted. And right after the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, what we see is the church gathering together. And notice what it says, Acts 2.42 on the screen. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Verse 44, notice, now all who believed were together. Underscore that. They were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, anyone who had need. So they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was just, there was just a simplicity of lifestyle. There was a, just a common simplicity of grace. Praising God, it says, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now notice this, having favor with all the people. There was such a grace among the church that those that were outside could find no fault in the together community. They, they didn't look in and say, man, those Christians are always fighting. Wow, there, there's always strife among that group. No, it says they had favor because it was such amazing grace. You know, Jesus said, all men shall know you're my disciples because you love one another. Paul in Acts, Paul and Barnabas in Acts, it says in the 11th chapter, it says, then Barnabas departed for Saul, to Tarsus for, to seek Saul. And when he had found him, and he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, notice, for a whole year, they assembled with the church and they taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. See the pattern? See the together community? Look at Acts 20 and 7 on the screen. Now, on the first day of the week, do you know what today is? What's today? We, uh, why do we say Monday's the first day of the week? Not for me. My day doesn't start on Monday. That's not the first day of the week. According to the Word of God, the first day of the week is the day Jesus rose from the dead. Come on. 
The first day of the week is the day we come together in the together communion in the church and we worship. The first day of the week is where we come and bring our offerings to God. The first day of the week is where we come and get our week started by thus says the word of God. Not Monday, not Blue Monday. Happy Sunday. Come on. Not Blue Monday. That's We're not being conformed to the world. Remember I told you, we're resisting that selfish culture. Happy Sunday. Come on, say it. Happy Sunday. You need to tell everyone you know, my day starts on Happy Sunday, where I declare Jesus is Lord of my life. When we gather together, two things. No matter, I mean, I realize there's different services and there's different types of services, but when the core, let me say it that way. The core of what should happen when a together church community comes together, there's two things that must always happen. Now, the Holy Spirit, it can do it in different ways. He does it in a variety of ways. But one of the things that always needs to happen when the together community comes is we bring glory to God. We sing. We sing about his death, his resurrection. We sing about the Holy Spirit. We sing about the great doctrines of the church. We sing about miracles. We sing about heaven. We sing and warn about judgment in our song sometimes. But we sing and we worship and we glorify God. The most important priority in this church is, are we bringing glory to God? And in our new facility that we're going to be building on top of the hill next year, what I want you to tell you is this, is my prayer often is this, God, I want you to get the glory. As that steel goes up, as all of it comes together, as the parking lot goes down, I want God, you to get all the glory and the honor and the praise. When we come together, we worship, we bring glory to God. But there's also something that I believe is very important to the heart of God, and that is this, that is There always needs to be an aspect where we're encouraging and edifying one another. Notice what Hebrews says on the screen. And let us consider, listen to this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Notice, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together. As the habit of some is, as the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't neglect meeting together. Some have gotten in the habit in, in that day of not joining and not coming together in a together community. And he said, listen, please don't neglect. Why? Because others need you. Others need your encouragement. They need you to be here. Your presence matters in the together community. And the fact is, the truth of the matter is, faithful attendance is a choice we make. It's not a choice anyone else can make. We must make it. I certainly realize that in our very busy society, there are circumstances that are beyond our control. Sometimes there's sicknesses. That's why we have a live stream. Sometimes there's job situations that we really cannot get out. That was different in past generations, but it's just something we live with today, and we understand that. Sometimes there's vacations. There are extenuating circumstances. I understand we do live in a very busy society, but the truth of the matter is many Christians just simply make a choice to do other things. Now listen, when we're talking about priorities... We're, we, we, the Bible said we're called Christians. When I, when I claim to be a Christian or when I tell someone I'm a Christian, what I'm saying is that I'm a Christ follower. And the implication of that is that he's the Lord of my life. And what that means is that when, now as Christians, when we set the priorities of our lives, we need to make sure that we're making those priorities. God, is this your will? What is your will for my life on the first day of the week? What is your will for my family? What is the best choice that I can make? And many of you, I'm going to tell you this. By your faithful church attendance, you are saving your family. You don't even know it. 
You don't even realize what the enemy's trying to do in your kids and what the, what the enemy's trying to do in your grandkids. But what they're going to remember when you're long gone and in heaven, they're going to remember, I had a mom, I had a dad, I had a grandmother, I had a grandfather, and their priority was to put God first on the first day of the week in the together community. And you are setting a precedence for them. You are setting a temple for their lives. That's going, they're going to, you're going to pass the baton to them. You're doing something in them by demonstration and you're making a difference in your families you really are so this morning as we think about this this what I've titled the together part of Christianity I want to just leave you with a few thoughts which I think are important thoughts of coming together week after week, to bring glory to his name and to edify the body. These won't be long. First of all, I want you to see this, that if we love Jesus, on the screen, if we love Jesus, we must also be concerned about the spiritual needs of his people. John writing says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot God also loves him who is begotten, the Christian, of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep His commandments. Two questions quickly. One is, can we love the Father and not love our brothers and sisters in Christ? You can answer. No. Why? Because the Scripture's here. It's very clear. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen? Now the fact is, it's probably easier to love our brothers and sisters in Christ than it is to love God. You say, well, why would you even say that? Because I can't see God. God is spirit, John says. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I can't see God. He's invisible. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen God the Father. You can't see the Holy Spirit. But I can see you. See, in the Bible, love is defined not as a warm feeling that comes and goes. But in the Bible, love is something tangible. It's tangible, loving action. It's something you can see. It's something you do. It's not just something you feel, but it's something you do. It's the, it's the love of, not of chance, it's not the love of feeling, but Bible love is the love of choice. I choose to be kind to you. I choose to be gracious to you. I choose to love you. I choose to be... See, see what I'm saying? Love is not a feeling. It's an action. So what are some of the ways that we demonstrate this? Praying. Praying for a brother and sister. When we serve in the body, whatever it is, we're loving our brothers. What about visiting a sick brother or sister in the hospital or calling someone who's sick? What about giving money to a brother or sister in time of need? What about helping a widow with yard work because she can't do it any longer and it's too expensive for her? Wouldn't that be something loving to do? What about speaking an encouraging word? Instead of talking about someone, talk to them with encouraging words. What about spending time with someone? See, if we love God, we've got to love our brothers and sisters too. Secondly, quickly. Secondly, on the screen, mutual edification is an important part of our discipleship and service to Christ. 
Now think about this. When, when, when there's a newborn baby, a newborn baby can contribute nothing. Nothing. They, they take total, it's total giving, total receiving for the newborn that you bring home. They can't pay the insurance. They can't mow the grass. They can do nothing but say, give me, give me, give me. But as a child grows from a little baby to a child, into an adolescent, into a young adult, and then to an adult, as they grow, as they mature, things change. Their service change. They're able to contribute more. So think about this in spiritual terms. In, in a sense of our discipleship, our commitment to Christ, our commitment to the one another community, you really, we really, in a sense, can quantify maturity. In one aspect, you can quantify your own maturity by measuring it by the unselfish actions that you demonstrate toward the body of Christ. We expect from a little baby, we don't expect anything. But if a little baby grows up and is 16 years old and still can't help, something's wrong. Now, I don't want to meddle, but I, I, I'm concerned with kids that are constantly on Xbox and all this. I'm concerned at what's happened to the minds of kids today. That hardly haven't read one book in their entire lives. And yet reading is the most wonderful. We can travel anywhere with reading. I'm reading wonderful books. I've got more books going on. You're like me? you got like six books going on? I'm reading a book by an economist. I'm reading a book by a sociologist. I'm certainly reading this book right here. That's the main Come on, that's the main book right there. I'm reading a book about the history of America. Concerned. As we grow, there should be more unselfish service. You can quantify it. Now listen to these words on the screen. Colossians 3. Let the peace of God rule your hearts to which also you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Everyone say you. That, that's a plural. Get your Greek lexicon out. I've got to let, I've got to let, I've got to get the word of God in me. Do you know it's a plural? So do you, is he talking to just the individual at home? Or is he talking to the church? Church. Plural. It's a Plural. Dwell in you, the church, richly, in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice this, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice another verse that's a parallel to that in Ephesians. Speaking to one another, speaking to one another in psalms and in hymns, and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now think about this. One of the very important purposes of worship, singing, is what? Teaching. Notice in cautions, teaching and admonishing one another. Notice this again. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, with hymns, and with spiritual songs. One of the reasons for singing is not just for your personal, individual, very narrow enjoyment. Notice singing is a corporate work that we do. Notice this when we're singing. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I like this song today. Da, da, da. See? See? We lose when we're selfish. Do you realize we need your voice? Your neighbor needs your voice. The one on this side needs your voice. The one on the front of you needs your voice. The one behind you needs your voice. Why? Because when we're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we're teaching. We're admonishing one another. We need your voice. And a question I have here is this. How can you obey this command if you absent yourself from the church? You can't obey that command. We can't hear you spanning the miles. John Christ is a Christian comedian, if there is such a thing. And he, <laughs> I don't know why I added that last part, but anyway. 
<laughs> so I watched a video of John Crisp. It is hilarious satire, but it's so sad it makes you want to cry. And here's what it is. John is an excellent comedian, very funny guy. But he, he talks about staying home and not going to the body, the worship at the church. He said, you know, basically you can get it home. And the whole video is about he has these uh, virtual glasses he puts on. And what he does in the video, he just rolls out of bed. You know, not, not gets dressed and gets cleaned up and goes to the body to be with the people and serve unselfishly. He, in the video, he just rolls out of bed, throws those goggles on. And he said, you can even pick how much conviction you want in the sermon. And on the deal, is if it's a little too much conviction, he slides it down a little bit. And he said, if you want to skip the offering, you just do this. And he says, you know, you can even pick what kind of church you want to go to. And then he has like, and one, he has a guy with a suit. Another guy, he has a little skinny jeans on. He, you got to use kind of whatever you want to do, you know. And he said, if you want Pentecostal worship, he said, you can worship in front of your bed in case you fall, you know. <laughs> and it's satire, I understand. But it's true to life today. How can we please God sitting home in our little jammies and our little booty shoes if you have those? Come on. What's happened is this. We've allowed the world to crush us into its mold. We're more like the world than we want to admit. I'm talking today about a, about a together community. I'm talking about not what the culture says, not what's relevant or irrelevant. I could care less about that. What does the Word of God say? And the Word of God says, for 2,000 years they gathered together on the first day of the week. Extenuating circumstance? Yeah, I understand all that. I'm not talking about the outlier. I'm talking about who we are as the people of God. Thirdly, and we'll land this in a moment. Thirdly, on the screen, Christ is with his people when they assemble in his name. Jesus said, in, in a context of church discipline, I understand the context of the verse I'm going to read, but really it's a broad text applied in, in different places in, in church life community. But here it's in a disciplinary passage. It says in Matthew 18, 20, 20 where the, where, uh, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. In that text, where the church is gathered to discipline one of its sinning members, Christ is there to give that authority. But I also believe that when we're here to worship, he's there. I believe that when we lay hands on the sick in his name, he's there. To gather in his name or to do something in his name means to do it for his glory, to do it in his will, and to do it in his authority. When we gather in his name, his presence is here to give us power and victory and to, and to meet our needs and to bring glory to, the, to his work and his character and his grace and to, to implement his will. One of the greatest reasons we should want to come together is that when we come together, the presence of God comes among us, listen, in a way that's different than you get on your own. Now, I understand that, that there's great times we have individually in the presence of the Lord. Every one of us should have a personal time with God every day. We should be meeting with God in His Word. We should be meeting for worship. We should be meeting for prayer. Just us and God in those private moments. Jesus called it the secret place. We need to have a secret place. But I can tell you, according to the Word of God, there is a different power. There's an increase of the manifest presence of God when people gather together in the together community and we lift up His name. There's an anointing. There's a power. There's a richness. There's a grace that you don't get on your own. And for no other reason we should want to be in the worship service because Jesus is here by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We should love his presence. I close with this last one on the screen. We must not neglect the opportunity to gather and edify one another. And I refer you to the Hebrews passage again. I will not read it. There's some blessings to gathering in the 
community of faith. One is that our faith is always strengthened. The Bible said in that text that we need to hold on without wavering. You know, our, our, our grip on faith can get a little weak sometimes. We're strengthening our faith when we gather. One of the reasons, when we gather, we shed the selfishness of the culture. We're showing our unselfishness when we come. Thirdly, we inspire others. We stir other, others up in the body. People need you here because you're stirring others up. You're helping others. I, I think another reason, another blessing that is, is that we please the Lord because when we obey his commands, we please him when we obey not to forsake and not to neglect. And then it says, until you see that day approaching, which means we're preparing ourselves for the coming of the Lord. A pagan writer named Lucian, he lived about 150 years after Jesus went back to heaven. And he observed the Christians meeting together. This is an ungodly pagan named Lucian, lived between A.D. 120 and 200. This is an outsider's view of the community of faith. Here's what he says. This will be on the screen, I think. Here's what he says, and I quote, It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus, has put it into their heads that they are brethren. Oh, I would that the people in our community could say that about us, that we're brethren. I want you to stand with me, if you would, please. I remember a long time ago, this song, and I'll just quote this because I did not share this with our worship team. This is an old hymn, it's really a chorus, but it says, bind us together. Remember that chorus? Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords which cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Bind us together with love. Then it goes, there is only one God. There is only one king. There is only one body. And that is why I will sing. My prayer is that God would bind us together in his mercy in his grace, in his love, that he would bind us together in his grace and that we would consider the together part of our Christian faith. Because if you think about it, you see, we see each other once a week, some more, You realize the moment the rapture takes place, you're going to see each other for all of eternity. I hope you're not getting tired of each other because it's about to get worse. <laughs> Come on now. Every day, we're going to be together. And down here, we're getting in practice because you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my brother, you're my sister. I think we should just ponder a moment, huh? We should ponder a moment. We should think about this. I need you. I mean, if you think I'm God's Superman, you are a foolish person and very deceived. If you think that I can live this life without the church, no, I need you. And if you think you can live your life effectively without the church, you are blind to the blessing and the purposes of God. My prayer is that we would come in this place and that we would purpose. We're going to be the best encouragers that God ever put on this planet. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to give when there's a need. We're going to worship with all of our hearts. 
We're going to pray. And when we come and pray, our list is not going to be eight pages long of personal need and then two little things for someone else. But we're going to truly pray for the body and pour our souls to God for one another. Father God, I bring this message and I lay it at your feet. I lay this message at your feet. And I lay it at the feet of your people of what they're going to do with this. Lord, are we going to remain the same? Are we going to allow the culture to press us in to its narcissistic, selfish behavior? Are we going to look out for number one? Are we going to obey the Holy Spirit and become so deeply involved in the work of God that it is our calling, it is our mission to build your church through the help of the Holy Spirit of God? I pray, O oh God, that you would put it in each heart today of how each person is needed to build the body. Lord, I know that the enemy of our soul, Satan, has lied to many of your people that said if they weren't there, they, would be, they wouldn't be missed. But that's a lie. That's a lie. Father, my prayer today is the love of God would flow from aisle to aisle, from chair to chair, from heart to heart, that we would, we would love each other with that agape love. Forgive us for not loving each other enough. Forgive us for being so busy with our own interests that we failed in the interest of others. But Lord, transform us into a together community. Lord, that everyone that walks in this congregation and in this place of worship, they sense that there's a reality here. There's a realness here. There's a sincerity here. There's a truth that's here. There's a community of faith, sincere faith. Pour out grace. Won't you just lift your hands and acknowledge Christ today? Remember he said he would be here? Come on, lift your hands. Lift your hands and lift your voices today. Come on, lift your worship up today. We worship you. We bless you. We praise you. Together, together. We don't worship a man. We don't worship a denomination. We don't worship some slick preacher somewhere. We don't worship some religious celebrity. We reserve our worship for one, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone is worthy. Oh, lift up Jesus today. The Lord said, lift up my son today. Like Peter, James, and John. Worship Jesus only. Worship Christ. Don't lift up Elijah. Don't lift up Moses. Worship Christ. Oh, we worship you. We thank you. We thank you. Come and lead that. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing this song today. From our hearts. From our hearts. Let's worship. Let's tie this off with this song. The center. Everything revolves around you. From our hearts to the heavens, Jesus, feel the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From our hearts to the heavens, Jesus, feel the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Oh, yes. Jesus be the center of your church. Yes. Jesus be the center of Think about it. Shall confess you, Jesus. Oh, sing it out to his name. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Let the name Jesus. Oh, yes. Jesus. 
something with me. I want you to just stretch across the aisle and let's join hands as we pray this prayer today. Everyone joining hands. Everyone. Everyone joining hands. Hallelujah. God has a work for us to do. It's going to take every single one of us doing our part. You're so needed. God has anointed you to play your part. And, and if, you don't, if you don't engage in your part in the church, it's like, a, you ever had a puzzle with a piece missing? It just, ever, something was always wrong. Something was, it's just like, it's beautiful, but yet something was missing. It's just like that. God has anointed us. Let's pray for the unit. Let's pray for the preservation of the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Just pray for that unity and that peace in this body. Lord, unify our hearts meet needs right now as we pray for each other as we pray for that unity pray for that supernatural love from heaven oh God just give grace right now let it be said of this church what was said of the Antioch church they saw the grace of God let your grace be among us Lord in a wonderful powerful way unify our hearts hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord is going to build His work. Now, I want you to drop that hand, and here's what I want you to do. I'm going to dismiss you. When I dismiss you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell at least one person, do several, that I appreciate you as my brother. Or if it's a sister, I appreciate you as my sister. I appreciate you as a fellow believer in this journey. Amen. Now you got to do it. At least one person or I don't know, nothing really. I was going to I was going to be funny. I'm not quick-witted that way. Are you you ever that way? You like 30 minutes later you think, "I wish I would have said that." You know, come on, you know. But I appreciate each and every one of you in the Lord. And I love you as my brother and I love you as my sisters in the Lord. Amen. Now I'm going to pray. Father, I pray this benediction that Paul prayed, of which the name of this church, Trinity Life Church, comes from. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you as you're dismissed in the Lord.